Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Suzanne Ebert. Dr. Suzanne Ebert built a successful dental practice from scratch, sold it, and is now the VP of the Business Innovations Group for ADA Practice Transitions. Today, she's our guest on Financial Flossing. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ross. I'm thrilled to be here. All right, so let's just jump right in. What made you want to become a dentist, and how did you get your start? (laughs) I'm your classic story. I thought that, you know, I wanted to be a medical doctor. Then guess I, I can't I tell you kids. how many people who want to go to med school. I say, don't go to med school, go to dental school. <laughs> it worked out beautifully for me. Like I said, I had two kids. They don't really want you in medical school back in the early you know, 90s when you're a female with two kids. So what are you going to do? You talk to your family. I had a stepfather. He was an oral surgeon. He said, you know what? Give dentistry a try. I said, Ugh, who wants to look at teeth all day? That's kind of gross. He said, just give it a try. I think you'll love it. I tried it. I loved it. Two years in, I realized how great it was to work with my hands. I got to, you know, work with people. I got to expand my brain and my knowledge, had a wonderful time, and I've loved it ever since. So you own your own practice right out the gate or very quickly out the gate. Uh, You built it and then you sold it. So talk about that process and what advice would you give to dentists looking to do the same? Well, I had a little bit of a rocky road, if you want to put it that way. I did a GPR and then started my own practice about a year after that. I had a business background with my husband. We owned an acetylene manufacturing plant. So we did know how to run a business, which was a huge asset for me. Built the practice exactly the way I wanted it, which was very relationship-based. I had, you know, I had three operatories. I didn't take any insurance, was very much customer service oriented. And then 11 years later, I ran into some health problems. I realized that I was not going to be able to deliver the same type of dentistry very much longer because I had a degenerative condition. I was in a wonderful position of being able to sell quickly. I did sell quickly. And then I realized that I was not ready to give up on dentistry, ended up as as the dental director at a public health clinic that was here in town, and then established an extramural rotation site for the University of Florida. And at that point, I had the privilege of working with senior dental students. They taught me a lot. They taught me more than I taught them, I'm sure. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And so the transition of selling, was it, uh, you, you were able to sell quickly, you sold to another dentist, correct? Yes, I did. And your practice, it was, there was no insurance and it it was more high end, correct? Yes, it was Ross. It was, uh, like I said, it was a very niche type practice. And here's the reason I got into what I'm doing currently, because my practice was so specialized. 
I had a very specific type of relationship with my patients and my staff and my community. My patients were coming to me for the experience and for the quality that I was able to deliver. But a big part of it was the experience that they had when they walked in the office. Nobody waited for more than five minutes. If they did, they got a Starbucks gift card. They went across the street. They got some coffee. We offered to reschedule. Very, very much customer focused. And it worked out really well for me. However, the people who bought my practice, it didn't fit their style. Because it didn't fit their style, the practice actually ended up closing four years later. Wow. That's... uh... That's pretty amazing. And that's really an absolute punch in the gut financially for the doctor who bought your practice. So I felt horrible for them, horrible because well, they a, came in and they tried to change. They well, tried great, to change and go with a different philosophy. So that's a great lead into what you do now. So you, you work at ADA Practice Transitions, and that's ADA as an American Dental Association. And so talk about what you do in your role there, because you told me a little bit about it beforehand. And, you know, talk about how you really kind of match buyers and sellers, because this is very unique compared to what goes on out there. Yes, it is. And as I said, the reason that this resonated with me so much was because of what I experienced personally, and then what I heard from dental students as they rotated through my clinic. The long and short of it is, is we are a practice broker and an employment broker. If you want to come bring it down to that, that's what we are. It's what we do. We are backed by the ADA and the ADA established this because we wanted to help dentists at key points during their career. Well, what makes us different though? What makes us different is that we start with the relationship. There has to be a shared mission, vision, and values for a practice transition, whether it be an associate coming into a practice or whether it be a buyer purchasing a practice, there has to be a common mission, vision, and values, or guess what? That transition is really going to be in jeopardy. Well, we don't want, you know, otherwise you're at risk of what happened with your practice, correct? Absolutely. If the patients are confused because they're getting a different experience, the staff is confused because they are getting a different experience, they're going to leave. And we all know that the value in a practice has nothing to do with the equipment and the building. It's got everything to do with the patients and the treatment that's rendered in the practice. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that as at your time at ADA Practice Transitions, you've probably seen the same thing happen with some of these transitions that happen with your practice. What I have seen for the most part, because of the way we match doctors up, it's unbelievable what they say. We just had a doctor who joined us after having three failed transitions. He attempted to sell his practice to three different people. He is now looking at selling his practice in, in a couple of days <laughs> to somebody that we connected him with. And what he told me was, this feels completely different than what happened in the past because this person seems to really care about the practice the way I did. So guess what? It went so much nicer. So in essence, what you're saying is, let's suppose that John Doe is selling his practice and I'm the right guy for it, but I'm only offering him, let's just make up numbers here. I'm offering him 4 million, but you come in and you offer him 5 million. Now, in nine out of 10 scenarios, they're going with you. But the way you guys have set it up, 
is I'm likely you're going to encourage him to go with me because we are a match. We have a philosophical on the same page. It's going to help the long-term viability of the practice. Whereas you're going to give him more money, but if he, and some people only care about the money, but at the same time, you're going to kind of lay it all out for everybody involved that this is going to have some serious headwinds if the person with a higher offer, but not the right philosophy, belief system, values buys this practice. Am I right in saying that? You know what? You're absolutely right. And what I will tell you is if somebody is strictly 100% only interested in getting the highest bid, if they only want to sell to the highest bidder, they don't care about any of the other stuff. And here's the key. They're in a high volume area where there are going to be a lot of offers. We're probably not for them. And I'm okay with that. Because what I want is for the dentists to be successful. I want that dentist who's retiring to feel good about the transaction and the transition into retirement. I want that dentist who's coming into the practice to be successful because the patients are going to stay. And I will tell you, in reality, I would say 90% of the ones that we've facilitated, it hasn't come down to the money. It's been what's the right fit. And because of that, you guys don't work with DSOs, correct? We work with group consolidations that are dentist-owned. But if it's private equity backed, we do not. And I mean, nothing against private equity, but it's all about the dollar for them. So they're going to give the high. It's a different animal. They don't care. I know people who've sold the private equity and they literally have said that they ruined their name because of what they did to the practice. Unfortunately, we do hear that story. There are a number of different uh, private equity firms that are out there now that are coming at this from a different viewpoint, at least initially. We'll see what happens in the market. But for right now, we are not working with private equity backed groups. Now, you guys have technology that kind of matches buyers and sellers. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we have to because we are nationwide. We're in all 50 states and we have practices and opportunity in all 50 states. So in order to be able to make this work efficiently, we need to have a way to match our doctors up kind of behind the scenes. So this isn't all being done by me or one of my team looking at each individual doctor and trying to piece it out. We have technology behind what we're doing, and we have found that there are some key indicators that seem to be more indicative of success. So we're building on that and continuing to build on that as we figure out, okay, what are the rest of these indicators and how can we refine this? How can we encourage a doctor who's in who's convinced that they need to be in Tampa, Florida, because it's a great market and everybody wants to be there. How can we convince that doctor's move? Can we find the perfect spot for them? And what are the indicators that we could make that happen? What are some of these key indicators? A lot of them are, you know, procedure based. A lot of them are how the staff is treated. You'd be amazed at how many doctors really care about the integration of the staff. That's a hot topic right now because so many staff are not going not going back to work for one reason or another. So that that's been a big one. The other one is community. Another one is, you know, going back to the financials and stuff, the referral patterns of the business are very important to our doctors. And then of course the financials. Right. And speaking of financials, I mean, you guys you don't charge you know, what a typical broker charges. It's like 35% less, right? 
Yes, we charge six and a half percent if you're an ADA member, as opposed to the typical 10% that the brokers out there are charging. Well, that's a big deal on a practice sale. Three and a half percent is huge. Absolutely. Um, so like, what, what advice would you give someone who is, you know, well, let me ask you this first. What is the typical age of someone you're working with to sell a practice? Well, it's gone down a little bit. The average retirement age now for dentists is at the lowest it's been in a number of years. It just dropped a little bit below 68. But typically, the doctors that we're working with are in their early 60s, Okay, I would say. So, you know, if someone is, if they're a practicing dentist, and, and for whatever reason, they're kind of tired of owning their practice, maybe they want to retire Maybe they just don't want to own it anymore. They're tired of dealing with you know, the headaches. What advice would you give someone who's even considering selling? The first thing I would ask them to do is take a really good hard look at their practice from an outsider's point of view. <laughs> and that's so much easier said than done. <laughs> you know, it's, it's their baby. We all know that. But there are certain hallmarks of things that our buyers seem to want. Buyers seem to want digital radiography. I mean, it's just kind of the thing. Not that film isn't great or couldn't be great. Right. I used to love it. And the switch to digital was tough for me, but you know, I, I did it. And that is what our doctors expect. They also want clean financials. If you're looking to sell your practice, please get your financials in order right now. Know what you want to get for it. Have everything ready in a nice little package to say, here, okay, great. I've connected with you. I feel like you're the right person. Here's my financials. Good to go. I have seen three deals, no less than three deals fall apart just because the owner doc was taking forever to get their financials in order. Well, guess what? That shows that the practice potentially wasn't well run and it terrifies our younger docs right now. Absolutely. Well, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you have a bookkeeper who does your books, like a third party bookkeeper, like a company you pay, then this is not an issue. You, It's an email that's sent the same day or the next day. And that's a really, really big deal. I mean, this kind of goes back to my argument. Uh, maybe not argument, maybe it's more of an observation. And I, I think you you say this too, is we have two opposite ends of the spectrum in, in the dental world. We have people who own a job. It's a really good job. And you have business owners. And one is not better than the other, but one provides more advantages than the other. And it gives you a lot more flexibility and dare I say leverage when it comes time to sell. If you're a business owner versus you're almost, you own a job, if you will. Yeah, the only caveat I would put to that is some of our business owners, you know, how much are they going to be looking strictly at the dollar signs? Are they going to be more likely to make a decision strict basically on uh, entirely on the financial side? Or are they going to understand the value of having that practice continue on? That's a very legitimate, that's a very, very legitimate thing that you a point you bring. And it, it it's the challenge of of how this works out. So obviously having your house in order. Uh, like, for example, get your financials. And, you know, I, I've interviewed two different bookkeepers on this podcast. So if you're listening here and you don't have a bookkeeper, get one now. Um, the, the two I interviewed were fantastic. And obviously, you know, a good CPA will help as well. But it, it's it's a fascinating conundrum. So let me ask you this. It, you came out the gate right away and 
owned a practice. You owned a practice. You, you basically were associate for a year and then owned a practice, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, would you recommend that or would you recommend them go be, work for corporate dentistry, a new dental school graduate go work for corporate dentistry first, or would you recommend someone come out the gate owning, um, just owning right out of school because banks will give tons of money to dentists? What, what would you recommend if I was a fresh dental school grad? What would you say? Ross, what would you do? Okay. Ross, I would say Mr. Dental Student or Dr. Dental Student. <laughs> I would say, first of all, take a look at yourself and understand what you want. Take a look at yourself five years from now and see where you see yourself. But also, when you look at that vision of yourself five years from now, think about all you've learned. You know that you are not going to be the same dentist in five years that you are today. You're going to learn a ton over that five-year span, right? You know you will. It's a huge learning curve. So where are you going to learn to be the type of dentist that you've always wanted to become? How are you going to find the right practice for you? I don't care, quite frankly, where you go. As long as you find the practice that's going to allow you the opportunity to learn the skills and the quality that you expect from yourself five years from now. Does that make sense? Wait, how, many, how often do you find or how often do you see people who, in your opinion, they're selling, they're burned out because they were doing the wrong thing? Like they should have either worked for corporate dentistry, they should have been an associate, or they should have hired an associate to help them. How, how many people, like I was telling you before, I, I know some people who were trying to sell their practice just because they hated managing people. They obviously don't learn that in dental school. And I was like, I just felt like that was the wrong reason to do it. And the phase of life they were in, I just didn't think it was a good move. They've since taken off the, off the market because I think they realize that, my understanding. And it's just, you know, maybe they haven't put themselves in the best position because they didn't know themselves the way they the way you're talking about. When you look at people transitioning, obviously it's an older demographic what are you seeing? I mean, I had a high school basketball coach said who used to say, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. <laughs> and so hindsight's obviously 2020. But like, what are you seeing that most people in these people transitioning, what could they have done differently to make this an easier trans an easier or better transition? Because I can it's not an easy process to, to sell your practice, even if it's clean, it's not easy. No, it's never easy. And it makes it more difficult if you are in a position where you really want to get out fast. Or need to get out. Or need to get out for one reason or another. For your friends, I would say, you know, there are companies that will help you with HR right. and management. You know, so sometimes it's a matter of just understanding that there are resources that are out there to help you get re-energized. By your business. Right. When you start to feel that burned out feeling, which I think happens to a lot of dentists as they approach their 50s, they've been in practice for, you know, 20 years, a little bit more. They're starting to get burned out. They've been doing things the same way. My advice to them is go find something to help you get energized about dentistry again, whether it's CE courses, whether it's a new skill set. Sometimes it's expanding your practice. And guess what? I've seen it work the other way where sometimes it's a matter of pulling back a little bit. 
spending yeah. more time with family. Know what you want. You said the average retiree for dental is coming down. Do you think that's due to burnout? Do you, what do you think that is? Or do you think honestly, because- I think it's I think it's due to COVID, and I think it's due to the challenges that people have been facing over the last two years. Dentists are have been affected by it in so many ways. They're not making as much money in some cases. The PPE costs have gone up. Staffing issues have been a huge stressor for dentists. I believe it is over 54% of dentists said that they are having problems with finding staff. Now, so- let's talk about that for a second. Is that due to, you know, the last two years, everyone has reevaluated their career. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, is that fear over COVID? Is that wages are increasing and maybe dentists haven't kept up with increasing the wages of their staff? Or is it all three? I would say it would be all three at this point. People got used to working from home. They got used to seeing life from a little bit different perspective. And of course, in a dental office, you have to be there. It's not like you can do this job remotely. Right. But imagine people who are having issues with childcare. Some schools are still in one week out the next. It just is so much strain and stress on staff people who need to take care of families. They need to take care of loved ones. Uh, Perhaps they're seeing their friends who are working from home now full-time, and they're maybe thinking about a different career choice. So there are just so many things that go into this that it's just a multifaceted problem, and I'm not sure exactly where we're going to land on the solutions. So why would a dentist decide to go with the ADA practice transitions versus Joe Blow Dental Broker? A dentist who wants to preserve the legacy that they have, a dentist who cares about the community that they live in, a dentist who doesn't want to meet their former patients at the grocery store and hear things like, why did you sell to that person? That's the kind of I've dentist I've heard those stories, by the want. way. I, I've heard some um, of those stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. it's very real. I mean, I mean that, that that's a very real thing if you sell to some DSOs. And some people don't care about that. Some people do. But I, I've heard stories of people in small towns, people's names getting ruined because of that. And um, it's not even in small towns. I mean, it happens. It happens right here. Yeah. So it happens everywhere. It's our service will be attractive to those dentists who really care about their staff, their community, and their patients. And they have already some financial freedom that they're not counting on their practice sale to be their retirement. So do you think that your clientele tends to be an older demographic uh, because they don't need as much money maybe versus some of these young guns selling to DSOs in their 40s? They obviously need more money because they're selling in their 40s. Do you think that has something to do with it? Oh, I absolutely think it's got something to do with it. A lot of these doctors that we work with have practices that are located in, you know, I'm going to say outside city centers. Right. And they've crushed it in their practices. They have a wonderful work-life balance. They've done exceptionally well financially, and they are less concerned about the dollar amount that they're getting for their practice. They're more concerned about getting the right person. And in fact, we just had a sale happen with a young lady in Maine who one and a half years out of school, she's now purchasing the practice that she went to work as an associate in. That's fantastic. So it's only a year and a half out of school. She just purchased a over a million dollar practice, but they set the purchase price before she even started because the doctor's like, I think you're great. I know and, that and you're the right one. 
and he's trying to pay it forward. I mean, I, I know some people, some dentists who they either have no interest in selling to, to a DSO because they would rather pay it forward to another dentist so that someone else could own the practice or some people just can't stand DSOs and they want to, uh, they want to just deal with a, another person, not a corporation. And I would say that there's probably a tipping point there to where a DSO can just offer so much more money and you alluded to it earlier. Um, so the thing that I would say to those dentists who are looking to sell just for the money is, you know, you have the opportunity to shape the way the future of dentistry looks. And this is the same with our younger doctors who are coming out. I go into dental schools, I give talks all the time. And the first question I ask is how many of you aspire to practice ownership? I would say 80% raising their hands. This is exactly what I want. Have you heard that, you know, dentist, private practice dentistry, solo practice is on its way out? About 70% of the hands go up. It doesn't have to. This is their opportunity to change the face. If they give in to this idea that solo practice is gone, then yeah, solo practice will be gone. So they have the opportunity to shape the way dentistry looks in the future. And I think there's room for all different styles of practice. And I think there are all different, there's room and a place for all practice modalities, including solo private practice. And these owners need to understand the same thing. If they're going to sell to the DSOs, then I don't want to hear them saying on the other side of their mouth, well, I hate DSOs, but you know, they gave me the best deal. So right. you, know, you just took that practice away from somebody who could potentially buy it and continue as a solo. So 10 years from now, what percentage, actually today, what percentage of dental practices are owned by individuals and what percentage are owned by corporate or DSOs? Oh, I believe, quote me on this, 71% are solo. And then there are the group consolidation styles, which I believe account for another 10 to 11%. Would that be a fair way of describing that would be a group of dentists saying, let's not sell to a DSO, let's become our own DSO, basically? Pretty much. And let's consolidate resources, let's centralize our ordering, let's do those things that the DSOs, quite frankly, do well. But, but they have an economy. They absolutely practice. have an economies of scale. There's no doubt. No question about it. So some of these small groups are getting together and creating larger groups. And then, of course, there's the DSOs, which I believe are about 11%. So 10 years from now, where are we going to be? That's a great question. So if I got my little crystal ball out. I want your crystal I ball. my prediction. Let's see if let's see if uh, if we can get together again in ten years, Ross, and see how I did. <laughs> I'm gonna say that uh, the DSOs are probably gonna creep up to. A, I think they're gonna plateau at around twenty percent of the market. And you said they're about eleven right now. Mm -hmm. I think they're gonna continue to grow. I think that there's going to be a point. There's gonna be a tipping point. I still think solo private practice is going to be alive and well because there are just too many spots in the country that are unattractive to DSOs. Now, but you say, when you say a tipping point, you mean a tipping point in favor of DSOs snowballing, correct? I'm not thinking they're going to snowball. Okay. I think that they'll get up to about 20% of the market. Which is, is roughly almost double where they're at now. But you, when, you're in the, when you're in this market, it seems like they're already at 50%. For the way it the seems way, like it, especially right. when you're in Florida. <laughs> right. For those that, of you that's listening, that's not so much the case when you go to other areas. Right. 
yeah, this is different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this obviously is very much interest rate driven as well. So if interest rates go up, you know, that's going to change things, but that's a different, different topic for a different day. So as, as we wind down here, I'm a big reader. I always ask every guest what they are reading or what they've read or what they recommend people read. So what about you? I've got to go back to the oldie but a goodie, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, yeah. I've read, reread. Yeah, uh, it's a classic. And too many pearls in there to avoid. So I'm still that, waiting for someone perfect. to tell me like Dr. Seuss or something like that, but that hasn't come up yet. So, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, Maybe Seven, next Habits, time. Seven <laughs> Habits, Highly Effective People. That's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. It's an all time classic. And that book's probably 25 years old, if not longer, older. So, Still incredibly, re- incredibly relevant. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, well, Suzanne, this has been a fantastic conversation. It's been very informative. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, if anybody wanted to get in touch with me, I'd love it if they visited me on uh, ADAPracticeTransitions.com or email me at ebertss at ADA.org. Yes. Say those one more time. <laughs> ADAPracticeTransitions.com. We'll have all of our contact information and a ton of resources that every dentist needs. And then my personal email address is ebertss, E-B-E-R-T-S at ADA.org. And I would love to hear from any of your listeners. Yeah, guys, if you're interested in selling or thinking about it in any way, shape or form, she's definitely somebody you should talk to first. Well, you've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannon, and tune in next time for our next episode. Thanks so much. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 161390032. 2021 11-95-35. Expires 423. That last part can also say 2021. 119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRASIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. 
PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas insurance license number 16139032, California insurance license number 0L10073, 2022-133-709, expiration 0224. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.